Today's reading is from Genesis 18, 1 through 14. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be bought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh. And after that, you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant, so they said, do as you said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seats of fine flour, knead it, and bake cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and sat it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to them, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I am surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am all worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is, any, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again to Christ Community Church. My name is Darren Lund. I'm a pastoral resident and associate pastor here at the church. And every time I get the opportunity and privilege to open God's word and preach, I, I feel compelled to say to all of you here, thank you. Um, it's been a little over a year since my wife and I packed up the U-Haul and came here and dripping in sweat, moved into the house we're in now. And it's crazy to think of all that God has done in that year and the ways he's stretched us and grown me and developed me. Um, and I know that this church believes passionately in, in developing leaders and seeing the mission of the church go forward. So thank you for investing in me in that. Um, you were here for my first sermon, which somehow got deleted from the church website. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be listened to ever again. And you've watched me at times stumble my way through ministry, but Lord willing, also seen me grow in pastoral ministry. So really, thank you so much. Um, as a church and across our five campuses, we've been in a sermon series on the Old Testament book of Genesis. And last week, Andrew preached a wonderful sermon on Genesis 17, exhorting and reminding us to live for an audience of one. If you didn't hear that sermon, please hop under our website and listen to it. And no surprise, we're in Genesis 18 today, specifically Genesis 18 verses 1 to 15. You just heard it read. So if you have a Bible, 
uh, or a Bible app on your phone, turn or click there. We'll be spending time in that passage. And in today's sermon, uh, the climax of the story is a promise. Our story culminates in the uttering of a promise. And promises are interesting things, aren't they? If you're anything like me, you can be watching a commercial on TV and get a bit cynical about some of the promises that you hear. I mean, some of the promises are so outlandish and so ridiculous that they're almost laughable. And no time is better for outlandish commercials and their promises than the Super Bowl. And I don't know if you remember this one, but in 2016, the candy bar Butterfinger had this commercial. And, and basically, the, the commercial is this. You have a guy riding a, a bull, which is bold, but a guy riding a bull who jumps out of an airplane is really bold, but a guy who is doing all of that while also eating this chocolatey, flaky, peanut buttery candy bar is really bold. And so the promise of this commercial is if you eat this candy bar, you'll get boldness and have confidence. And it, it is laughable. I mean, the few things I'm certain will happen if I ate that, a few calories, and if I'm not careful, a cavity or two. But it's not just commercials, is it? It's the world we live in today. It's movies and politicians and news outlets and bloggers. So many different voices today are making promises that sound too good to be true. They're making promises that they can't fulfill. And so it's no wonder that a lot of us have gotten cynical or reluctant to believe some of the things we hear. I love how one author puts it. He says, we've built up scar tissue from our frustrations and we don't want to expose ourselves anymore. Fear constrains us. And it would be great if all those promises were true. It'd be great if a candy bar could give you confidence, but it can't. That candy bar could expire. That politician may never get to office. Promise over. That diet can't overcome years of laziness. That workout machine can't instantly give you the body you're looking for. But what if a promise that sounded too good to be true? What if a promise that sounded too incredible to be true actually was true? Well, if you would join me in these next 30 minutes in laying aside, along with me, your, your inner cynic, and instead, let's look at this amazing story in Genesis 18 with childlike faith that is ready to receive and believe the promise we find there. And there are going to be three main movements to this story. We're going to see three mysterious people, two good-as-dead old people, and one incredible promise. Three, two, one. That's easy to remember, right? Three mysterious people, two good-as-dead old people, and one incredible promise. Well, let me pray quickly before we turn to God's Word. Father in heaven, we need your help. Would you attend to the opening of your word in this time together? God, meet us now, we ask, that we'd hear clearly from you. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Well, when we enter the world of Genesis 18, we find Abraham is sitting by his tent under a large tree. And our text describes these trees as the oaks of Mamre. And we're told it's that time during the day when it's really hot, so it's pretty likely that Abraham is here at this time seeking shade and refuge under this tree. But it's also possible that Abraham is also here under this tree seeking and expecting an encounter from God. Now, why would I say that? Well, 
if we go back to Genesis 12, verse 6, a pattern begins to happen in Abraham's life where the Lord appears to him by trees like this and does work in his life when he's by trees like these. And so tired, no doubt, exhausted, and seeking both refuge and the Lord, Abraham finds himself sitting under this tree. Maybe he's so tired he can't even hold his head up or he's slipping in and out of sleep. But all of a sudden, Abraham, while he's sitting there, looks up and sees three interesting, strange people standing right before him. You know, the passage in Genesis 18, verse 2, isn't really clear who these people are. They just sort of show up. But apparently, Abraham thinks they're really important because he wastes no time in greeting them. He even bows low to the ground before them, which is really an act of worship. He also refers to himself as their servant. And then in verse 3, he addresses one of these figures as Lord. Now, as readers of this story, we do know that one of these figures is, in fact, the Lord, the God of Israel, who called Abraham to follow him. In fact, we're told that pretty explicitly in verse 1, that it's the Lord who appears to Abraham. And later, this same figure in our story is going to make a pronouncement about the future and what will happen that only really God could know. And we find out in the next chapter that these other two people are God's angels sent to attend to him and do his bidding. And so we should ask the question at this point, why have these three interesting, mysterious people appeared to Abraham at this time? And the answer is, they have a special message they must deliver to two other characters in this story. And that brings us to our two good as dead old people. Now, one of those people should be pretty obvious at this point. It's Abraham himself. So far, he's gone out of his way to show these people extravagant hospitality. I mean, the text describes him as running around frantically getting things ready and making preparations. He is taking this very seriously and very importantly. Yeah, it was a common feature of nomadic lifestyle at that time to to show hospitality like this, but Abraham even goes beyond what would have been expected. What's also striking is Abraham's response here compared to the conversation he had earlier with God in chapter 17. In chapter 17, God makes a promise to Abraham, and Abraham, if you remember, laughs. That's chapter 17, verse 17. Abraham can't seem to accept what God is telling him in chapter 17. And in fact, Abraham has the amazingly stupid idea to tell God in chapter 17, actually, God, your plan isn't good. Here's my plan. And as a preacher and as a pastor, you just have to say it. God's plans are much better than our plans. So Abraham kind of stumbles his way through his conversation with God in chapter 17, but here in chapter 18, we see a different response. He exhibits the faith and obedience that make him a friend of God. He exhibits the faith that ultimately place him in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And he also is a model of obedience and faith, so much so that the apostle Paul appeals to Abraham as the example of our faith in the book of Romans. But I said that these three men came here and had a message for two people. As much as we could talk about Abraham, they've really, these men are really here to deliver a message to Sarah. 
We see in chapter 17 when God appeared to Abraham, he made a promise. And here's what, here's what it says, uh, Genesis 17, verses 15 through 21. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And then he goes on in verse 18. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And then again in verse 21. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. And that's an incredible promise, isn't it? That God will give Sarah and Abraham a son. But the only problem is that Sarah wasn't there to hear it. And so these three men have come and are delivering a message specifically, and most importantly, that Sarah needs to hear. And so the Lord asks Abraham this surprising first question. I don't know if that surprised you like it did me. Look at what he asks Abraham in verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Well, we know from verse 1 that Abraham and these men are sitting right next to the tent. So here's the scene. You have Abraham standing there, and next to him, the Lord and his two angels are sitting down right next to the entrance of the tent where Sarah is inside, right in earshot. I just, I love it. The Lord knows exactly what he's doing. He knew that Sarah was there. And he knew that Sarah would be able to hear all that they talked about. The text says that Sarah was at the door listening. Now, this isn't a moment of Old Testament eavesdropping. No, this was a common practice for uh, nomadic societies where men would be outside talking and women would be in the tent listening to what was said outside. And so she's listening. It's almost in this moment like the Lord clears his voice and talks louder And he says, where is your wife, Sarah? Just grabbing her attention. He turns his face toward where Sarah's at and he makes a statement. The Lord makes a statement that would have sounded absolutely incredible. And that brings us to one incredible promise. So imagine Sarah with her ear pressed against the tent door. And she just heard the Lord ask where she is. That got her attention. I mean, wouldn't you listen up if God was like, where's Darren or where's Bill? Where's Sarah? Instantly has your attention. It's God speaking. Her, her attention is tethered and focused to what God's about to say next. And the Lord says something that to Sarah's ears would have sounded absolutely incredible and given her situation absolutely impossible. Here's what God says. Look at verse 10 with me. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. I love that. That is an incredible, amazing promise. And unless Abraham told Sarah what he heard in chapter 17, this is the first time that Sarah is hearing the explicitness and nuanced nature of this promise that involves her. And what's Sarah's response to all of this? Well, you heard it read. Laughter. Sarah laughs. I mean, how would you respond? Ladies, put yourself in Sarah's shoes for a moment. She's almost 100 years old, and the Hebrew text is almost embarrassingly explicit about how old she is. It, It says in verse 11 that the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, 
She is well past menopause. She is biologically unable to get pregnant. That's her situation. She can't get pregnant. And she just heard a promise that can't be fulfilled, at least in her thinking. It's incredible, and yet given her situation, it's impossible. You know, often when we hear this story told, Sarah's laughter is explained as evidence of her unbelief in God's promise. And there might be a small element of truth in that, but I think she's just being realistic in this moment. I mean, it was back all the way in Genesis 12, about 25 years earlier, when God first made the promise to Abraham that they would have offspring of their own. And it's been even longer than 25 years since they've been married and still haven't been able to have a child of their own. So Sarah, understandably, is, is looking at her body. She's looking at her age. She's looking at the multiple decades of childlessness. She's probably looking at old, wrinkly Abraham hobbling around with the cane. And she is understandably reluctant to believe what she just heard, that of, that of all times now, at the ripe old age of 99, she's going to have a baby. <laughs> In fact, Romans 4, verse 19 says that, that Abraham considered his own body, and we could say this about Sarah, considered his own body as good as dead and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. But maybe even more personal and challenging than, than the biological fact that she just can't have a baby would be a deep sense, I think, of loneliness and feeling forgotten for 25 years. I mean, it's been 25 years, and Sarah has watched the time tick by and still no baby. Just think about this. Year one, no baby of their own. Year two, no baby of their own. Year three, no baby of their own. Year four, still no baby of their own. Year five, no baby of their own. I'm not going to go all the way up to 25. But on and on and up, all the way to 25 years of waiting. Have you ever had to wait 25 years for something that was promised to you? She's watched the slow decay of, of her body and the breakdown of her faculties. She's seen the gray hairs multiply. Her eyesight may not be as good as it was. She is old and weary. And we can hardly fault her for being a bit cynical and uncertain about the promise she just heard. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've never waited 25 years for anything. I'm barely older than 25 years. I mean, imagine what you were doing 25 years ago. Did you even have your driver's license then? Were you married then? Were you even alive then? And now imagine waiting that long for something that was promised to you. Have you ever become cynical while you waited for God to do something, and yet year after year passes and still nothing you know, it can hurt to hope. It can be painful to walk by faith sometimes. You know, as the proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It can be really hard and painful to wait sometimes. And so all of these losses and crosses and sorrows and pains are behind this moment where Sarah laughs. But her laughter prompts God 
to say something that, that's rightfully become one of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible. Listen to what God says in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. We could also translate the Hebrew in that verse. Is anything too incredible or is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And of course, the rhetorical answer to that question is no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too incredible for God to do when it comes to him promises, his promises. Listen to me on this, friends. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're still breathing, if you're still alive, there's still hope. Nothing is too incredible for our God. Nothing is too impossible, too wonderful. If you're not dead, he's not done, so don't give up. That'd be a great moment for an amen. Thank you. So why is this story in our Bible? It helps set the stage for the next story, yes, but it also is here to tell the people of God that when it comes to his promises, nothing is too hard for God to do. What's the barrenness in your life? What good and godly thing have you been praying and longing for that you still don't have? What sinful behavior or negative emotion have you longed and prayed to be free from and yet it still trips you up? Live long enough and you'll go through what Sarah went through. Live long enough and you'll know loss, you'll know suffering, disillusionment, and the pain of having your hopes dashed to pieces. Honesty in church, there have been times in my life, there have been moments this month where I've been deeply cynical about God and his promises and doubtful that he ever wants to do something good in my life. Can I share something personal with you guys? Some of the, my own barrenness in my life that I struggle with. You may not know this about me, but ever since high school and even since I became a Christian in college, I've struggled with depression. I've never had it diagnosed. I've never been so debilitated by it that I couldn't function. But my whole adult life, I have struggled with moments, days, and seasons of depression. And when I'm feeling depressed, I just want to give up hope completely. I, I've pleaded with God to remove it. I, I've pleaded with God to give me joy instead. And yet over the past 10 years, depression has just been a common thing in my life. I read God's promises and truths about the joy and hope and pleasure that are found in him. And I read the commands to rejoice in him always. And I try to cling to those and fight for those. And yet, I still feel depressed. And when I'm struggling with that, I, I just can add my voice to Sarah's and laugh at some of God's promises. When I get that way, I can get cynical and start to believe God will never fulfill his promises. And he's never going to do anything good in my life. Maybe my very life is a disservice to Christ. And, and I think of that struggle and that depression, and I fear what it, what it might do to, to me, to my family, to my wife, to the church, to my ministry. And yet, and yet God has met me in my depression and taught me more about him and what it means to shepherd and care for his people than I could have ever learned otherwise. My own pain and, and depression has helped me be a better minister to other people who are in pain and sunk in low. My own pain and depression has forced me to depend on God in ways I've never had to depend on him before. 
the late Charles Spurgeon, the, the famous Baptist preacher who died in 1892 and has rightfully been called the Prince of Preachers, was a man who his whole life in ministry struggled with depression. It was so bad that he could say in one sermon that my spirits were sunk in so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, yet I knew not what I wept for. And his life and testimony have been a real help to me as another pastor who struggles with that. And listen to what he says. This has so helped me. If you've never had such an experience, my dear brother, you will not be worth a pin as a preacher. I think that means you'll be a bad preacher. You cannot help others who are depressed unless you have been down in the depths yourself. You can't lift others out of despondency and depression unless you yourself have sometimes been needed to be lifted out of such experiences. You must be compassed with this infirmity too at times in order to have compassion on those in a similar case. And friends, I can say that God is fulfilling his promises in my life, even in the midst of my struggle with depression. I can say that I'm a better Christian and husband and pastor because what God has taught me through that pain. Am I glad that I struggle with that? No, of course not. I, I wish I didn't. And yet what I love about our story in Genesis 18 is how honest it is about painful situations in reality. We talked about it in Romans 4 where it's referenced that, that Abraham didn't weaken in his faith when he considered his own body as good as dead or the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That was the situation. They really were almost as good as dead and, they, and Sarah really was barren. That was the situation. That was the reality. And so one thing this story shows us is we don't have to turn a blind eye to the painful circumstances in our lives. The solution is not to some kind of trite, Pollyanna, superficial attitude that everything's okay when it's not. No, God's not asking us to do that. No, what we need to see is we need to see reality for what it is and all its pain and all its burdens and not kid ourselves about it. But, and this is important, we get into trouble when our difficult situations or negative emotions are the only thing we see. Yeah, depression is bad enough, but you know what's even worse than that? Struggling with depression apart from the promises and loving care of God. And that's even worse. Now, I don't know what your story might be. I don't, I don't know what the barrenness might be that's in your life that might be tempting you to become cynical and doubtful about God's promises. It could be some totally good and godly thing that you have longed for and prayed for and yet still haven't received. Maybe you're single and you've been longing for a spouse, or maybe you've been waiting for that job, or maybe you've been longing and praying for a non-Christian family member or spouse or child or friend to become a Christian. Maybe you've been pleading with God to transform your marriage. Or maybe you feel just like Sarah because you too are in a season of infertility, longing for the day when you might be able to have a baby of your own. It could be some sinful behavior even or, or negative emotion that you just want to be free and rid of and yet it persists. It could be anxiety or worry or depression or bitterness or, or maybe it's your finances keep tripping you up and you can't seem to shake debt. Maybe it's some habitual sin that no matter what you do is still there and it would be really easy in all of those situations to lose hope 
to become cynical and bitter that God will ever fulfill his promises in your life. Now listen to me on this. I don't know how God might want to work uniquely in all of those situations in your life. Most of us don't have what Abraham and Sarah got here, which is a direct, explicit promise with a timeline of when it will be fulfilled. Most of the promises we cling to don't come with a timeline like that. Most of the promises we try to cling to, we only get to experience in part, and we wait until heaven, until we fully experience them. I'll probably always, to some degree, struggle with depression, but, but one day, in heaven, I won't. But this side of heaven, we need to be careful that we don't sort of hand God the script that we've written for our lives and ask him to sign on the dotted line on the bottom. No, in this life, we hand God a blank check where we've signed and he writes the story because we trust that he knows what's best for us. We surrender all to him knowing that he knows what's best. God hasn't removed my depression, but instead he's met me in it and given me the grace to endure it and grow through it. Now, it seemed impossible, thinking back to our story, it seemed impossible that a barren woman could get pregnant and have a child of her own. It, it seemed incredible that two good-as-dead old people <laughs> could have a child of their own, and yet God did it. In Genesis 21, God makes good on his promise, and he gives Abraham and Sarah a baby boy, Isaac. Our wonderful God is able to fulfill his incredible promises even in impossible situations. Let me say that again. Our wonderful God is able to fulfill his incredible promises even in impossible situations. Another good moment for an amen. That's who our God is. And that's what this story is driving home for us, that he can be trusted and will be faithful to what he's promised. But you know, there's something even more incredible. There's something even more wonderful than what God does here in Genesis 18. You know, I said earlier that verse 14 where it's translated, is anything too hard for the Lord? Could also be translated, is anything too incredible or is anything too wonderful for God? That same root word in Hebrew is used in another place in the Old Testament. And it's a passage we read every Christmas. You'll remember it when I start to read it. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the Wonderful Counselor. He's the Incredible Counselor. If it sounded impossible that God could give a child to a barren woman, but yet he did it. It sounded incredible that God could give a baby to two good-as-dead people, and yet he did it. But you know what's even more incredible, what's even more wonderful than that, is when God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to forgive us our sins and give us eternal life. That, friends, is even more incredible. Even more incredible than what God does here in Genesis 18 is what he's done in our lives through Christ when he saved us. You see, in our sin, apart from Christ, we weren't just as good as dead, we actually were spiritually dead apart from Christ, and yet, by God's grace and through his power in Jesus, he's given us eternal life. We'll identify in this life with Sarah's struggle. We'll know the, the pain of waiting and, and the heartache of hope deferred. 
And at times we'll even laugh at God's promises, but this is key. When we see how God's been faithful to us with the hardest and most incredible promise, namely the forgiveness of our sins that cost him his son, then we'll learn how to wait in faith when we, by confidently looking forward to the day when he'll f- fulfill the rest of his promises. When we can rest in the incredible forgiveness that we already have in Christ, it'll be said of us like it was of Abraham that we didn't waver concerning the promise of God, but grew strong in faith as we gave glory to God, get this, fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this amazing truth and amazing statement of the promise you make over our lives. God, we pray that you would strengthen our faith and help our unbelief to cling and believe to the promises you give us while we persevere in faith, waiting for the fulfillment of the promises we don't yet have. Thank you, Jesus. We ask it all in your name.